This is Women in a Day, a podcast created to give a deep look at the daily lives of women of all kinds, from sunrise to sunset, with Jenny Halzer and Portia Hensley. Welcome to episode 20 of the Women in a Day podcast. I'm Portia Hensley here with co-host Jenny Halzer. We've been following along with the rest of the country as we head into the fourth week of the partial government shutdown reading the headlines and hearing stories about the impact of the shutdown, particularly as it pertains to the furloughed federal employees. Today, we wanted to speak with someone who's been directly affected, and we're grateful to have Samantha Oliver joining us. Yes, a huge thank you to Sam for joining us today. A little bit of background. Samantha Oliver is a hydrologist with the U.S. Geological Survey, where she serves as a data scientist for a variety of water quality projects, from emerging contaminants in the Great Lakes Basin to pollution runoff from farm fields. She received her Ph.D. from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in freshwater and marine sciences. She lives in Madison, Wisconsin with her husband, two kids, and giant mutt. Hi, Sam. Hi, thanks for having me. Sam, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've been impacted by this shutdown? And then we can kind of get into your career. Yeah, sure. So as you said, I work for the United States Geological Survey as a scientist. Um, I'm a hydrologist. And I am considered a non-essential employee, which feels kind of weird to say. (laughs) But what that means in a shutdown is that I don't work and I don't get paid. So I guess that's better than having to work and not be paid. So I'm kind of in a in a limbo state right now, waiting to go back to work. Um, and it's extra weird for me because I was on maternity leave starting at the end of September. And so I was actually going to go back to work the week of Christmas. Um, and so... It's a little challenging right now working out the details of childcare, me going back to work and just sort of waiting around, pump in the corner, waiting to go <laughs> back to work. I know obviously you weren't probably in the offices leading up to the shutdown, but was there sort of prep work being done? Like, hey, this might happen. Here's how we prepare for it. Was there anything like that going on? Yeah, certainly. So I was keeping up with email um, and chatting with my supervisor and everything. So before the shutdown, it's what's called sort of orderly shutdown. And employees, at least at the USGS, have four hours on the first day of the shutdown to complete an orderly shutdown. And so what that means, if you're in the office, is you come in, you take out all your gross food out of the fridge, you take your house plants home if you have them in your office. Um, It's like an evacuation. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 a bit strange. Um, you print out your your furlough letter. You know, you take care of any business that you need to, um, and you have four hours to do it. But even before those four hours, there were a lot of emails. For example, from my center director telling us how we had to complete our time cards, how we had to shut down. You know, answering any sort of questions. So there's actually quite a bit of effort that goes into the shutdown, which um, is sort of a surprising thing. And how many people are in your office? Um, I think there are over around 80 to 100 people. Wow. So no one is there right now. It's completely closed. 
It is completely closed. There might be some essential employees. So the the USGS does do some essential services. So for example, um, I'm in the water branch. So we do respond to floods, for example, or monitor floods, and that's considered an essential service. So if Wisconsin, for example, had a huge rainstorm right now, I think there would be some people called back to do essential services. But as far as I know, there's not anyone, there might be someone like checking on rain gauges and water gauges that are in our streams, which is considered an essential service, but I'm guessing there are no people in the office. I think the question on everybody's mind is, if you're not being paid, what do you do financially? Yeah, so um, fortunately, I am not the breadwinner, although my income makes up a substantial portion of our household income. Like I said, I was coming off of maternity leave, and contrary to what some people believe, the federal government benefits are not great. And um, I'm a relatively new employee, so I didn't have loads of time in annual leave and sick leave saved, so I didn't get paid maternity leave. Um, I got the first, I cobbled together the first six weeks, essentially. So then the second six weeks, I wasn't being paid. So on one hand, we're almost used to me not being paid. Right. right So our house is a little leaner, um, sort of in preparation for that. But on the other hand, we were expecting me to go back and get a paycheck. Fortunately for me, what I'm feeling really grateful about is that our mothers were coming to take care of our new baby. And had we signed like a daycare contract, (laughs) we would have had to start daycare on the second. So, you know, I work with, you know, one of the primary people I work with him and his wife both work at the USGS and they have two young children and so they don't have any income right now which is really scary right um so I feel really fortunate we're you know right now we're okay um and it I think we will be okay as long as we get back pay is that the plan when you're furloughed do you still get back pay yeah so um congress has to approve it they have to approve the back pay, and I think the House actually just put it into a bill that we are going to get back pay, but I don't think it's gone all the way through yet. So someone has to approve it, and who knows, we're sort of, it's always been approved in the past to get back pay when shutdowns have occurred, but I feel a little bit uncomfortable now because I feel like we're in unprecedented times. <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows, right? Yeah, there's no guarantee. So if we got back pay... You know, that's one thing. If we didn't, that would be really hard for our household to sort of recover from. I'm considering applying for unemployment, which is also a weird thing going on right now. I just read this morning that there have been something like 7,000 unemployment applications from federal employees. But you still have to, for example, show that you're looking for employment. Right, (laughs) which is an awkward thing. Yeah, that's so awkward because you have a job, but... That, yeah, that's that's a tricky thing. So that's one option, and I think I'm going to just because I don't – It's I'm sure it'll be a lot of paperwork, and if we do get back pay, I think I have to pay back the unemployment. But if, we, if for some reason we don't get back pay, I feel like that's my only insurance to get some money recouped. Right. 
what have you had to do or what do you anticipate having to do because of your loss in wages? Yeah, I was thinking to this, like, what would be the first line of action? And I think the first line of action might be to go to my older daughter's daycare and ask if they can sort of pause daycare for us and she can stay home with me so that we don't have to pay daycare Mm -hmm. costs. Um, So you have two kids? We have two kids, yeah. Do you guys have savings? We do, um, but we've kind of moved things around so that, for example, we're not putting as much away right now into savings and using that sort of as our, you know, in our checkbook right now. Sure. I have to assume that a lot of the projects that happen at the USGS, they're not, you know, they're not static projects like accounting things where someone's just waiting on numbers or something like that. Things are, you know, because it involves nature, obviously things are changing all the time, whether the government's functioning or not. So what are some projects that you see that this shutdown is really going to affect? Because I'm assuming that they're not being monitored or data is not being collected. Right. Yeah, that's that's um, interesting as well. Right. Like even if the government's shut down, there can still be floods. (laughs) So what I was thinking the other day, it was raining in Wisconsin and it's December and that doesn't happen very often. And when it rains a bunch, the USGS goes out to our stream, our automatic sensors, for example, and takes in-person measurements to verify that the machines are collecting information correctly. But if there are no employees to go verify that we have no sense of how well our machines are doing out in the environment, how how well they're capturing the rain events or the flood events. So give us an um, idea what some of the information that is being collected from the rain. How much it's raining, how how high the river rises when it, rain, when it rains, how much water is moving through the river. These are all sort of measurements that help. They help in a variety of ways. If there's a flood, it helps local officials and citizens know, you know, what the river is at compared to flood stage, but it also helps calculate, for example, how many pollutants are coming off of uh, the landscape into a lake as one example. So there, you know, the, the information that USGS collects is used for a variety of, of reasons. And what's also from what work I do a lot of the projects at the U.S. Geological Survey are cooperator-funded. So a local organization or government will give the USGS money to either monitor or do some sort of research project. And so we have billable hours. And I have no sense for how that works in a shutdown, how my time will be charged if we get back pay. Oh, Um, that's a good point. I'm I'm guessing what happens is it's like spread out over all your different projects, but you know, that's essentially paying us for, for work not being done. And someone has to foot the bill for that. What else does a hydrologist do? I assume obviously it has to do with water. uh, I'm not a typical hydrologist. So um, my answer is probably pretty different from, from another hydrologist in the U S geological survey. Um, what I would say I do is is use information, use data collected at large spatial and temporal scales to answer pressing water questions in the United States. So we 
use the information out in the field that the USGS collects to study things like um, how water temperature is changing and how that might affect fish habitat, how um, emerging contaminants like pharmaceuticals that we flush down our toilets are impacting drinking water and, and fish habitat, how the amount of water is changing on the landscape, flood regimes, flood timing, flood frequency. There's a lot, any, anything related to water really is covered under the umbrella of hydrologist in the, U, in the USGS. Wouldn't some of your work with drinking water be an essential function? Certainly. We are not a regulatory agency. You get into some gray area, certainly. So, you know, we're not measuring and regulating drinking water directly. However, in the Great Lakes, for example, Toledo gets their drinking water from surface water. It's not groundwater. And the USGS monitors water quality in that region. So there are sort of direct links between the things that we're measuring and drinking water. In Madison, for example, the you know, it's the city is the municipality that's monitoring the drinking water and regulating the drinking water standards. So we're not regulatory. So it's not like, you know, because the USGS is closed, there's no one measuring what's in your drinking water. But the information that we collect certainly contributes to our broader knowledge of drinking water quality and the threats to drinking water. Do you share your data with the municipalities? Yep, all USGS data is public and online, and there are a lot of people that rely pretty heavily on USGS data. There are a lot of academic partners that use it for their research. There are a lot of municipalities that use it. Some of that data has sort of remained online and sort of, you know, is still there. People can still access it, but other places the domains are shut down and people can't access the data. So it's sort of hit or miss whether they even know what they can or cannot access. Is there any data you're going to lose because people aren't collecting it that could ruin projects that you're working on, long-term projects? Um, not me specifically, although, um, you know, you can imagine if anytime you get a rainstorm that's above a half an inch of rain, for example, and someone goes out and collects an in-person data point to validate those numbers later on, um, you can imagine that not having data in a month can have an impact on the quality of information that you're collecting. Not to mention that everyone then just has more things to do when they get back, right? They have they have to somehow fit an extra month of record keeping into their normal workflows to make sure that that data uh, is good data and that it's valid and um, we can use it for for these studies. Um, and so that time has to be made up somewhere. And I would imagine that the data suffers somewhere in the pipeline. So what made you ultimately want to become a hydrologist? I've always been interested in aquatic science. I, as an undergraduate, had a fantastic opportunity to work at a field station in northern Wisconsin and, and do lake research. And then I got my PhD in freshwater and marine sciences in Madison and 
when you get your PhD in this sort of field, there's this tension between if you want to become an academic, oftentimes you have to chase the job and you don't have a lot of control over where you end up. And I have a family and I have a house here in Madison and it was pretty important for me to stay in Madison and have meaningful employment at the same time. And so there was a, a great opportunity that opened up at the local USGS Water Science Center, actually doing what I got my PhD in. And it, so the timing just um, really worked out and I was able to stay in Madison and have a job that I was really interested in. Um, and so I was, I was excited to move into the government as a hydrologist because your work is really driven by societal needs. It's we're working to improve water quality at a national scale. And I think that's a, an awesome job to get to do. So definitely. Yeah. It's, it's a great job. I I love my job. (laughs) Is this, is this the first job you had right out of your PhD program? It is. Yeah. I um, defended my PhD and on a Friday and started on a Monday. Wow. So did you go straight into the PhD program from undergrad or did you work between? No, I worked. um, I'm from sort of the woods up in northern Minnesota and I moved to Madison to get a bachelor's degree. After my bachelor's degree, I did essentially a AmeriCorps project with the National Park Service um, in, in Missouri for a year. And then I moved to Duluth, Minnesota, where I did my master's degree up on the Great Lakes for a couple of years and then found my way back to Madison to do a PhD. Wow. So you've really been in academia for quite a while. Yeah. I don't remember. I was like in 23rd grade or something like that. <laughs> Were you measuring your height too every year just to make sure? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> My mom's still taking me out first day of school pictures, yeah. That's awesome. So I have to assume that some, because I think one of the things that people have seen with the shutdown is just the horrifying images of trash and neglect. And so I have to assume that some of the regions that you're monitoring as lakes are also going to be affected by other areas of the shutdown in terms of pollution and disrepair. Is that a concern also? You know, that's uh, more of a concern of, like, the National Park Service because they're the ones that maintain those facilities, um, and the USGS isn't maintaining those facilities. But, you know, certainly that, as a as a nature lover, as, like, a defender of public spaces, that's disheartening to know that because of the shutdown, we're, we could be losing things that we're, we're not going to be able to to get back. I mean, you can't regrow a Joshua tree, right? No, this is very true. That's horrifying to think of. How many USGS offices are there across the country? Oh, I don't even know. But there are, um, so just in water, for example, most states used to have a water science center, or still do. Now they're sort of being combined and moved around. And, you know, there's always a reorganization happening. But in Wisconsin alone, we have a water science center, and then we have, you know, several field uh, offices that service field equipment across the state. But there, you know, there's an office in 
pretty much any state I can think of in the Midwest, there's a water science center and each of those places has a director and employees living there. So, and that's just water. USGS also does earthquake monitoring, for example, volcano monitoring. So there's, there are a lot of USGS employees across the country. Do you think there's a possibility that this shutdown is going to go on so long that people start to leave and work elsewhere? Or do you think they're going to hold out for a while? That's, that's a good question. I have played those games in my head (laughs) with my job. Like, okay, how long could this go on before I would have to seriously consider something, either getting a temporary job or leaving this job? I think people with a PhD in my position, I think it would it would take something more substantial to leave our jobs because it's really hard to find a job when you have a specialty of aquatic science, right? right. You can't just go and get a job in aquatic science somewhere else. But if you are a minimum wage contractor or a contractor with the government that you don't you know, you're not making very much money and you're living paycheck to paycheck um, and you have skills and services that you can give to some other employer very easily, I could see that flight risk being much higher. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know how how lower wage government employees are handling it now. They have to be considering other options. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to assume so, yes. Yeah, I'm thinking about the the janitor in our office how are you know they're probably not going to get back pay why is that if you're a contractor if you're not like an actual federal employee contractors don't get have not received back pay in the past and so for example if the if a large government building has a contract with a catering service and there's a catering service in the building that serves food First of all, they're probably lower wage employees. And second of all, they're probably under a contract instead of being actual government employees. And so they're not getting paid now and they won't get back pay, most likely. So the good thing is that their skills are pretty transferable to other places. But I bet that there's going to be a lot of those people who do jump ship and leave and go to places that they can guarantee that their wages are paid but I wonder what it's going to do to the federal agencies that need that support staff. Like, what are you going to do if you don't have janitors and you don't have food and you don't have all the people who support you with those low wage jobs? Exactly. Yeah. And I, so I think this, I'm a little bit confused as to the timing of paychecks because I haven't received a paycheck and so on. <laughs> on maternity leave. But I imagine. I think this, you know, the beginning of this week was when the first paycheck was missed. Yes, and so that's right. now, if this starts creeping in to this next paycheck, for example, if this week we don't go back, a month of no pay is really scary. Well, I think for a lot of people, and even if you are someone who has skills that translate to other areas and you do get a job quickly, you know, in, for many people, the damage has already been done and you're already, you're putting pressure on a population that's already feeling financial stressors in other ways. 
So, you know, whereas you can do the math of like, okay, how can we recover financially? How many months would it take if we don't get back pay? These are people where it's like, it may take years for them to financially recover. And that's really heartbreaking. Yeah. You can't just skip two paychecks. Um, and there's no hope for them to get back pay. So I, I think it would be really interesting to talk to a contractor about their pretty unique circumstances. And there are even, I work with scientists who, for example, have been on contracts in the past and who it's often used as a tool in the federal government to fill a need fairly quickly, even if it is for like a scientist position. But because the the hiring system is kind of slow and sometimes you can't hire someone for a certain reason, it's easier to fill a contract position and then hopefully down the road, if it works out, to hire them as a permanent employee. So there are even higher paid positions that are also on contract. So um, I think it spans sort of the breadth of, of the USGS in terms of um, what types of employee would be on contract and who would be sort of differentially affected by the shutdown. So since a lot of your work does focus on the human effects uh, um, on the water supply and how that translates to other areas, what's something that you would like people to know about the work that a hydrologist does and their part in that? I guess I would say that there's not any water around us that isn't affected by what humans do. (laughs) It's sort of hard. It's easy to look at a stream or a river or a lake and say, well, that looks nice or it doesn't look nice and sort of infer (laughs) what, what has happened to it or what has not happened to it. But for example, in Wisconsin, we have highly contaminated groundwater as well. And groundwater is very slow moving and takes years to sort of recycle through its its whole cycle and be renewed. And so if you do something to it now, it could be contaminated for the next hundred years. And a lot of people in rural Wisconsin rely on that as their drinking water. And so I believe that the USGS, the water mission area of the USGS serves a really important role in in national security, if that's not a loaded term right now. Um, but our security is highly water dependent, and I think the USGS serves a pretty critical role in protecting our water, not through um, regulation, but through understanding and research. Has any of your funding been cut in the new administration? Um. So that's an interesting one. So uh, the way that part of the funding works for the USGS is that, you know, it has to be approved by in the in the federal budget year to year. Um, so it's always a bit of a guessing game in terms of what's going to happen. Um, so I don't know if you remember from the last budget cycle, um, but there's a there's a large initiative funded by Congress called the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. Okay. And a lot of that money ends up coming back to places like our office. So it's it's this large funding source, but then, you know, they'll say, well, we're, we're interested in monitoring contaminants in the Great Lakes. And so then who is best suited to monitor 
contaminants in the Great Lakes. Well, the USGS is already set up to do that sort of work. And so then they'll, we'll get a contract from the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative um, to fund that sort of monitoring. Um, a lot of the work that I do is, is funded by the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. And in the last budget cycle, I believe that um, those funds were completely wiped out in the first, first draft of President Trump's budget. Well, maybe they're just like highly reduced. It was dr- it was something drastic, but the the good news is is that the Great Lakes states are pretty purple, and so there was support across the board for these funds being funneled into these states to do research. Um, and so, once the final budget came out, Great Lakes Restoration Initiative was still in and pretty similar to past funding. So nothing ended up happening. Um, but a big stink had to be raised about it, right? And I'm sure that makes you really start to think about the work you do and what that could look like, and it puts you in a fairly precarious place. Exactly. And then, you know, so if if the preliminary budget comes out and it says USGS is going to get a 10% cut, well, then every office has to go through the exercise of figuring out where that 10% is going to come from Mm -hmm. or whatever percent is given to them. So I think in this last funding cycle, uh, USGS did not take a hit, but, you know, every budget cycle, we sort of have to go through these exercises of, well, if there is a hit, what, what's going to happen? So it's, it's an, it's an interesting situation. Water tends to be less political than something like a regulatory agency like the EPA. So... I feel like we're a little bit protected in that sense, but it's always, it's always hard to say it. it you never know what's going to happen. I think that's the lesson that we're all learning from the last <laughs> few years is that you really never know what's going to happen. Yeah. I, anytime someone says to me something like, well, you know, in the past, this is, this is the way it's, I'm, I'm not a permanent employee right now. I'm a term employee. Um, and this is something that just happens in the government a lot, in USGS a lot, is you start as a term employee and then you get rolled into a permanent position. And everyone keeps telling me, everyone we've wanted to put into a permanent position in the past has been, we've been able to do it. <laughs> and I keep saying, well, I'm not very comfortable with that because I feel like we're really in unprecedented times. Yeah, for sure. So we ask all of our guests uh, one question. What's your best piece of advice that you've ever received? I'll stick to career-themed advice, and that was to choose people, not the projects. In when you're in academia, when you go to grad school, for example, you know you're shopping around. What kind of science do I want to do? You know, what institution do I want to do it at? And I think I've learned, and it was good advice that that just really doesn't matter as long as you're in a place where you're supported. Um, and you're doing science with people that you want to be doing science with, that will be sort of your most rewarding experience. And I, I think that probably applies to lots of other things and not just your career choice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I no, like I think that. that's great advice. Yeah, it's really good advice. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and please join us next time for episode 21 when we speak to Lisa Templeton, PhD, author of Letting It Be, Mindful Lessons Toward Acceptance, and the founder of the Interpersonal Healing Center. 
If you want to learn more about our incredible guests, you can find us on Instagram at Women in a Day Podcast or at our website, womeninadaypodcast.com. And as always, a huge thank you to our editor, Tony Tarbox, and Hillary Blair, who lends her voice for our intro. If you have a minute, please make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. And it really does help other listeners find us. And even better, tell a friend about Women in a Day. Yes, it's true. Ratings and reviews help a ton. And they also allow us to keep bringing you stories like this one. So thank you so much to Sam Oliver. And thanks for listening.